Uh, my name is Chris Jones. I'm a pastoral resident here at Grace, for, uh, for those you who don't know. And uh, this summer, I've been given the opportunity to actually preach a sermon series. Uh, so as part of my pastoral training, uh, Kevin and Shane thought it would be a great idea for me to actually prep and preach through a series of scripture rather than just do one-off sermons. Uh, so this is a unique opportunity, and uh, it's an opportunity that I wanted to take to share with you one of my favorite passages of scripture, which is John chapter 15 and 16, those two chapters. And if I had longer, I'd probably go into John chapter 17 as well. Uh, so before we get into the text, I would love to pray, and then we can look at God's word this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent the true vine. And Lord, I pray that we would all search ourselves Search ourselves to see if we are communing with Christ and, and abiding in him. Lord, I pray that in this moment we would abide in you. I pray that I would preach in your strength, that we would listen in your strength, because apart from you, we can do nothing. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So in America, our children are often raised with this sort of mantra, you can be anything you want to be if you just work hard. If you just apply yourself, you can be anything. And parents and teachers and coaches, we all reiterate this to our children. We, we are raised that no matter what happens in life, if you outwork your opponent, you can win. If you work harder than everybody else, if you climb higher, you can be successful. Now, hard work and dedication are not sinful. They're not inherently wrong. But what happens is this mindset of hard work, dedication, and diligence becomes a self-help gospel. And we see it as adults. We love to feel strong. We love to look at our accomplishments and stand on our own and say, look what I've built. Look what I've achieved. As a national champion triple jumper, I wanted to look and say, this is what I jumped. This is what I did as I worked so hard. But hustle culture, the culture that we can work hard, be productive, do anything, led to burnout culture. And that's the culture we're recovering from now. We see it post-pandemic. We lose our humanness when we don't embrace our weakness, when we don't realize that we can't do everything ourselves. So when we look at creation, from the fiercest lion to the smallest blade of grass, all of creation relies upon God. Self-reliance, though it is a cultural virtue, it runs contrary to the gospel. And so this morning, I, I want to point us to who we need to rely on. I want to point us to how we ought to live. And what we see in John 15, verses 1 through 6 is this. A living relationship with Jesus is the strength we need to live on mission for this community. So why did I choose John 15? Because as we go out and have these community engagements, as we go out and reach Danville with the gospel, we cannot lose sight of this living relationship with Jesus. For it is Jesus who will empower us to be on the mission that God has called us to. Now, we are in John 15. The context of our passage is very important. This is part of what's called the farewell discourse. Jesus is presenting his apostles with, uh, or his disciples with his death. I'm about to die. So I'm going to leave you with some last words, my last hurrah. 
And, and this is also the last of the I am statements. Jesus in the Gospel of John is showing us that he is God. So he's made these I am statements, and this is the last one. And he says as a metaphor or as a parable, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And so what we see first in verses 1 through 3 is we see that we need Jesus. We need to see Jesus as the source of all true spiritual life. Jesus is the source of all true spiritual life. Let's read together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So the first thing we see is Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, if you're a, a close reader of Scripture, you may wonder, why true vine? Why not just say, I am the vine? The reason is because Jesus is comparing himself to Israel. Israel was described as a wild vine in Scripture, and Jesus says, I am the true vine. God said, I planted a choice vine, but it bore wild grapes. So Israel, God planted them but they didn't bear the fruit that they were expected to produce. So we needed the true vine to come in and fulfill what Israel could not achieve. But next we see church language. Jesus closely associates himself with his people. So when he says, I am the true vine, he, he doesn't literally mean he's a vine, but what he's saying is, I am the true vine. And, and all believers, everyone who professes faith are attached to me in some way. And, and that's a mystical connection. That's a, a difficult connection to grasp until you think about how did Paul or how did Jesus approach Paul? My, he said, why are you persecuting me? But Saul wasn't killing Jesus. Literally, he was killing believers. He was disrupting the church. So Jesus associates himself with the church so intimately that he can say, when, you, when people persecute us, why are you persecuting me? And this is important because in a second, we're going to see that there are some people in the vine, so to speak, that are not truly in Christ. They're not truly believers. And the reason is because Jesus is associating us, the vine, the believers, and the church together in this metaphor. But what I also want to show you is that there's power language here. Jesus is the strength for all believers. Jesus, when he says, I am the vine, he is pointing to us that he is our strength. And then notice what he says, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, God doesn't take a secondary role here, but what, what Jesus is saying here is God is the farmer or the gardener. If you read the, the CSB or maybe the NLT or NIV, my father is the farmer or the gardener. And, and what we see is that God is going to define what good fruit is. God is the giver of the definition of true fruit, and he defines what true fruit is. And it's his standard, not our own. And, and God's work as the farmer or the vine dresser is twofold. Look at, look at what verse 2 says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I want us to, to slow down and, and think about the work of God, the Father, in the church. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's painful. It's painful to have to see church discipline happen, to see professing Christians turn away from the faith, to see God remove people from our midst. 
but we know that it happens. Grace Church, you know that this has happened. God has removed fruitless branches from this church before. Church discipline hurts. It's painful. It's challenging. Those seasons are difficult, but that's the work of the gardener or the vine dresser. But much closer to home is the pruning work of God. God prunes branches so that we may bear more fruit. That means he takes a sharp knife or he takes a sharp blade and he cuts back things that keep us from growing. He cuts things out of our lives that are hindering our fruit. He brings us through seasons where we're flat on our back so that all we can do is look up to God and say, Lord, we need your help. But I want you to remember that God, the gardener, the farmer, the vine dresser, he cares for you. He cares for believers even in those times of pruning. Taking that, that pruning is, is painful. It's difficult. But it's God's love. Don't look at the discipline of God as though he hates you. Look at the discipline that when God brings you through these seasons, you are beloved children. You are beloved children. God is not doing this to spite you or to harm you. He's doing this so that you may bear more fruit. And I want to ask you in this season of your life, what is God pruning out of your life? How is God pruning you? What is God removing from you so that you can have more growth? I want you to remember his love. God loves you and the Father loves you even in the pruning. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus is using some cool wordplay here. The, the taking away in verse 2, the pruning in verse 2, and the clean in verse 3 have similar Greek word roots. So already you are being cleaned or already you are being pruned. Already the process of sanctification has started in you because of the word that I have spoken. And for the disciples, this would be Jesus' teaching. But for the believer, this is the sum of the word of God, the gospel that points us to Jesus. Already, if you have believed in the gospel, you have already been cleaned. Already, you are clean. Hebrews 1 says that God once spoke by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son. So if you have heard from the son and believed the gospel, already you are clean. So my question is, are you clinging to Jesus as the true source of spiritual life? Are you, each individual in this room, clinging to the, the Savior, the true vine? Or are you a branch trying to prove yourself to the vine dresser? The gospel calls us to let go of what we think we're doing. Health, mindfulness, career success, investment success, none of those things are the true vine. Those are false vines that make us think we're okay. But are you clinging to the true vine? Have you truly believed the gospel? Because anything you cling to besides Jesus is only a false vine and a false source of hope, and it can get us nowhere. Let's see what Jesus has to say next. We see that Jesus is the source of all true spiritual growth. Let's read in verse 4. Abide in me and I 
in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the second thing we see is he's the source of all spiritual growth. Uh, Kim has a blackberry bush out in our garden. It's, it's starting to fruit. We've got berries all over it. It's, it's looking really good. So the other day while I was sermon prepping, I decided I would pull a branch off and set it on the back porch table and watch it bear fruit. I want to see. I want to, I want to watch it bear fruit. I pulled it off, but nothing. It doesn't work that way. The branch is already dried up. You can actually snap it in half pretty easily now. And as Christians, we can't be like the branch that I pulled off that's not attached to the vine. As Christians, we bear spiritual, God-glorifying fruit only when we're pursuing a strong and vital relationship with Jesus. And I want you to sit with that for a second. We only bear true spiritual fruit when we are pursuing a strong, ongoing relationship with Jesus. That's the message that has been rocking me this week. And there are two doctrines that, that we need to understand as we proceed into this passage. There's the doctrine of union with Christ. This is the eternal, mystical connection that you have with Jesus at birth. That's when Jesus is the vine and you're attached to him as a branch. For every true believer, there is an eternal union with Christ. It's justification by faith, as we like to talk about. It's the salvation, getting saved. But there's also something called communion with Christ. Communion is that daily, ongoing relationship. It's, it's when you're bearing fruit, when you're seeking Jesus, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're living life in community with other believers, and you're starting to come to know Christ. And, and I want to remind you that, that communion with Christ and spiritual fruit are the evidence of union with Christ. We can't get that backwards. Communion with Christ and spiritual fruit are the evidence of your union. You don't see branches popping out fruit to say, look, I told you I was a blackberry. It's the opposite. The blackberry, the sticks on a blackberry bush have blackberries on them because they are blackberries, because they're attached to the blackberry plant, the stem. And so what we need to realize is we don't prove ourselves through spiritual fruit. We, we are evidencing the salvation in us as we pursue this fruit. If we get this backwards, we lose the gospel. But where this illustration breaks down or where this parable, we can't go too far, is a real branch doesn't fight to be attached to the stem or to the vine, right? It just grows, but we are humans. We are people with flesh, and our flesh is at war with our spirit, so we have to fight to abide. Our flesh and spirit are at war, real enmity. You know this. Why is it that we wake up and we want to grab our phone or watch our television or go do every other thing besides commune with Christ? It's because we have a flesh. We have an enemy, and we have to fight to abide. And if I was to preach this sermon and not define abiding, I would fail you. What is it, what is it to abide? It's, it's to continually and actively and for the rest of your life be in the presence of Jesus. It's, this, it's an active work of getting in the presence of Jesus. It's seeking his help. It's fellowshipping with Jesus. It's fellowshipping with the Father and the Spirit. It's worshiping. It's all of these things that c compose the Christian life. 
And one thing I want to remind you is that abiding isn't just personal, private devotion. It's this corporate worship. It's being in community. It's being accountable with other believers. The whole Christian life is a life of abiding with Christ. And that's got to be our pursuit, our lifelong aim. And it's this relationship, it's this abiding that fuels our spiritual growth. Just as a grapevine produces grapes, Christians produce fruit because we are abiding in Jesus. We produce the fruit of the Spirit. We produce a life of repenting, believing truths and gospel about Christ, and then fighting to kill sin. That's, that's what we do. Our fruit, again, is not a determining factor for salvation, but it is true and vital evidence of our salvation. Uh, faith without works is dead, so show your faith by your works is what James says. And our, so our real and living faith will come out in our godly lives. And, and look what Jesus says. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. So we're not just going to be languishing. Psalm 1 speaks of a tree beside waters just growing and thriving. That's what Jesus is picturing here. When we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. As the Father is pruning things away, we will bear more fruit, and we will continue growing and bearing fruit. But as you hear this, um, you may be wondering, why, why does my life not seem to be abundant in fruit? Why does it seem like I'm never growing? Why do I not feel as though I bear much fruit. And this is where I want to, to urge you. Be in community with other believers. Why? Because so often all we see is the struggle. God, I want to wake up and not stare at my phone all day. God, I want to wake up and not blow up on my children all the time. I want to not be envious of people with more money. I want to go to work and work hard and be pleased and content with the life you've given me. God, I want to love my students. I want to love my wife. I want to do all these things well. And all we see is the struggle. But then another believer comes in, a Barnabas type, and encourages you, look how far you've come over the past five years. And then when you look back, you're like, wow. God really did bear fruit in my life. That prayer that I, that time I spent in prayer about this issue, I really have grown. It's so hard to see growth when you look at yourself in the mirror every day. That's why we need each other. We need to encourage and build up and push one another. And we need to remember not only do other believers see our fruit, but our Father in heaven sees our fruit. The fruit that he is producing in us by his Spirit through his Son. He sees it and he is pleased with it. Despite our struggles, God is pleased with us and the fruit we bear when we are abiding in Christ. And we need this constant reminder, so Jesus says it again. He says it in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Then he says in verse 5, Again, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if a bodybuilder at the gym walked up to you and said, I build muscle at the gym, not in the kitchen, so I'm going to stop eating. I'm just going to stay in the gym 24 hours a day, keep lifting, keep pumping, because when I come here and I lift weights, I see myself growing. 
That would be foolish. That would make no sense. And yet, as believers, sometimes we're like that bodybuilder. When I go to church, when I have good godly conversation, when I preach, I'm bearing fruit. But when I'm just reading the McShane plan and having my daily prayer time, I don't feel like anything's going on. Why have a two-hour prayer meeting asking God to move when I could get two hours of Christian work done? Sometimes that's our mentality. And I'm not saying we need to be monks and go in a monastery and hide out. But what I'm saying is, like that bodybuilder, sometimes we fail to realize that abiding in Christ, the praying, the reading the Bible, the having the conversations, those are the things that bear much fruit. Those are the things that build us up and and strengthen us, not going out and doing more and working harder and being better. So we have to convince ourselves. We have to let the word of God convict us. We have to remind ourselves constantly, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We must abide in him if we want to be on this mission and bear fruit and really grow. So how do we abide better? How do we learn to abide? I've got three Three small tips here. Number one is just get good at confessing your weaknesses to God and others, even if you don't think it's sin. So even if you don't think you're in sin, but you just feel weak, get good at confessing that to God and others. Because the more we see our weakness, the more we can see the cross, the more we can look to Jesus, the more we can say, I can't do this. And that's some of the best words we can ever utter. I can't do this. Because then we can lean on Christ. Number two is uh, make a habit to pray about everything. Seriously. If your wife needs help around the house or your husband needs help with something, pray, Lord, help me be focused, help me be diligent, and help me to do this to the best of the ability you've given me. God's pleased when we help others. He's pleased when we love others. So we can ask him, strengthen me in my work for other people. Help me to be more others-centered. And then number three, keep your finger in the Bible. What do I mean, keep your finger in the Bible? Stay in God's word. Keep reading and memorizing and meditating and reading and repeating. Because what we're, the world we're in right now is so unbiblical, so anti-scriptural. We've got to be in the word. What is God teaching us? How? How does God want us to live? What does God want us to know? And the only way to do that is to be constantly reading and studying the Bible. And we'll see in a a week or two, Lord willing, what Jesus says about the word abiding in us. A lot of our abiding with Christ is actually keeping the word in us. So as we think about this, Jesus is going to remind us in a different way. He's going he's gonna to flip it a little bit. So let's look at verses, uh, the second half of verse 5 into verse 6. Look at the last phrase in verse 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, there is no spiritual fruit or spiritual growth or fruitfulness. When I was a school teacher, and you teachers can acknowledge this as well, A lot of the time, I spent my day reminding kids of stuff they already knew. Don't talk. Put your phone up. Turn your work in on time. Don't run in the classroom. Don't run in the hallway. Don't vape in the bathroom. Over and over. 
if you do this, you will get in trouble. If you don't do this, you won't get in trouble. You know, you just say it over and over a hundred different times in different ways. And this passage kind of reminded me of that. Like Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. I in you. Abide in me. I in you. If you don't abide in me, you won't bear fruit. If you abide in me, like he's continually saying the same thing because sometimes it takes hearing it over and over again for it to finally sink in to our hearts. And that's what I think Jesus is doing here. If you didn't get that you can't bear fruit apart from Jesus, listen to what he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say you could do decently. He didn't say you could do okay. He didn't say you could do decently well, pretty good. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And there are some of you probably sitting out there thinking, well, literally, I can do whatever I want without praying, without reading my Bible. There are a lot of lost people who do that, but we can't do anything of spiritual or eternal value apart from Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus upholds the entire universe. You can't do a single thing without Jesus upholding you and this universe. And you can't do anything spiritually worth anything apart from Jesus. And we can all look back on our lives when we've tried to raise our children a certain way or, or do this, whatever it is, fight this sin in our own strength. And it's like we're beating our head against the wall and then wondering why we have a knot on our head. And it's because we've tried to do it in our own strength. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's impossible. Jesus is saying it is not possible unless you are abiding and trusting and seeking me for strength to do anything spiritually worthwhile. And whether you believe in Jesus or whether you reject him, you need to know this. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And then in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. Notice he doesn't make the emphasis about the fruit here. He could have said if anyone doesn't bear fruit, they will be thrown away as a branch and wither. He could have said that, but instead he says, if, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Fruit is important, but it's the abiding that's more important. And when we don't abide in Jesus, we cannot bear fruit. We are useless. We're like a, a blackberry bush that has no blackberries on it. Eventually you dig it up and you throw it in a bonfire and you get another one. And Jesus is saying here, apart from abiding in him, we are useless. And this is a warning for every person in this room. God sees through all hypocrisy and self-deception. All religion is fruitless apart from Jesus. All of your efforts, all of your hard work, all of the things you're trying to do if you do not lean in on him is useless. You can't do it. He sees through our hypocrisy. If anyone does not abide in Christ, he is thrown away. The evidence of our abiding, the fruitlessness, that's what gets people thrown into the fire and burned. And we don't like this judgment language. 
It brushes up against our culture. It brushes up against everything inside of us. How is it fair for God to punish people? But we need to remember the heinousness of our sin, and we need to remember the justice of God. To not abide in Christ is to reject him. To reject Christ is to reject the Father, is to reject the gospel, is to go back to the garden and eat the fruit all over again. The wages of sin is death. And to not abide in Christ, whether you're the religious non-abider or whether you're the God-hating non-abider, not abiding in Jesus is heinous sin against our holy God. And every branch that does not abide in Christ is thrown away like a branch and withers, and they are gathered together, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's hell. I don't like having to preach that all the time, so that's why I don't choose passages all the time that are like this. And in fact, in John 15, sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because it doesn't seem right in the eyes of our culture that some people will suffer in hell because they rejected Jesus, but it's fair because our God is holy and our sin is heinous. But I've got another reason for us meditating on this and thinking about this. As we see our own sinfulness and God's holiness, the cross looks bigger and better to us. When we think we've sinned a little, we think we're forgiven a little. When we think we've sinned majorly, we think we've been forgiven majorly. He who, forgives, who, he who has been forgiven little will love little. Who, who has been forgiven much will love much. So by seeing our sinfulness and seeing the heinousness of our sin and seeing the goodness of God in the cross, we can see more beauty in the gospel. And as we see more beauty in the gospel, as we study God's holiness and God's justice, it will impact our gospel urgency. There are 50,000 people in Danville and in Boyle County and Mercer County. 50,000 people in these two counties that need the gospel. You might not even live in these two counties. Add your county to that. That many souls need to abide in Christ. That many souls need to bear fruit. That many souls need the gospel so that they are not thrown away like branches to wither. Will that stir us to urgency for those of us who have already believed? You are a part of that 50,000. And by God's grace, someone shared the gospel with you. Someone is sharing the gospel with you. You are sharing the gospel with people so that those 50,000 don't have to suffer in hell one day. I call every one of you again, come to Jesus, abide in the true vine. He is your strength. He is your life. He is your hope. Will you come to him? And for those of you who are listening intently, I want to ask you, to do something with me this summer. In addition to reaching people in our community with these 300 engagements, I want to urge you, if you're willing, memorize John 15, verses 1 through 17. 
And if you need help, there's a guy named Andy Davis. He's got a scripture memorization method that'll, that'll help you memorize sequences of scripture. But I want to urge you to memorize this scripture so you can remember your neediness and so you can remind yourself of your strength as you go and do this uncomfortable mission that we are on. This mission this summer, but the Great Commission. Meditate on it. Talk to God about it. But I really want you to memorize this if you can and if you're willing. But as we finish up this morning, I, I just want to remind everyone here, we need a living relationship with Jesus. We need a living relationship with Jesus. Let this summer be a time of searching and seeking. I want you to answer these questions for yourself. Would your life look any different if Jesus stopped answering your prayers? Let me ask you in another way. Are you so dependent on Christ that if he withdrew his presence, your life would be utterly ruined? Because that's what we're talking about here. If apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, would your life look different apart from Jesus? That's what I want us to wrestle through this summer. That's what I want every one of us. That's what God is putting on my heart to wrestle with. And I want you to wrestle through this. I want you to examine your life. Confess sin where you need to confess it. Celebrate where God is giving you success. But ultimately, I want you to make time to be with Jesus. He will supply your every need if you just abide in him. Jesus is our hope. And I want you to read ahead with me. Read in John 15, verse 11. This is where I want to end off. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray.